As a business and leadership mentor, wife, and mom, I know that building a legacy business as a high-performing female entrepreneur can be overwhelming when you play many demanding roles in your life. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be a powerful, high performer in your career, plus enjoy a fulfilling marriage and be a great mom all at the same time. Join me and my guests every week to get the inside scoop on what it really looks like to build a high growth business while living a life truly aligned with your family and personal values. Hey, Laura, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're going to have a, a well, real down and dirty, juicy conversation. <laughs> Super down and dirty. <laughs> down and dirty. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm so I'm so thrilled to just be like sitting here chatting with you because we know each other so well. Yes. We've been good friends for the last few years. I'm still like saddened by your move to Tennessee. Me too. Me too. I can't tell you how homesick I've been. And I'm like, oh, back when I knew people in real life. (laughs) (laughs) Right? However, it's weird how as entrepreneurs, we can have real life friends that we like, the reality is, is like, we didn't see each other a lot, right? When you're running a business, you're busy, you're doing stuff like you cannot see someone a lot, but it's amazing how like, even just that occasional coffee date can be like, so like nourishing to you when you don't see that many people. I know. I, I was just thinking about this the other day. I was like, Laura and I like make plans for virtual dates more than we saw each other in person when we lived a mile away. Right. It was like almost like it was too easy before. And now it's, it's like takes an effort. Right. Oh, isn't that interesting? Like it, it's funny to me, like it kind of goes with that like whole, uh, I had a client who told me this story where she bought an online course for $10 when a coach was introducing it as like this introductory sale, $10. And she bought it, never opened her email with it. Right. And then later bought the same course again for $500. Didn't realize she had previously bought it for 10. And we could get into a whole conversation about, you know, people not valuing what they don't pay for, but it is almost true. It's like when it was $500, she was willing to put in the effort of it, but it's kind of the same thing too, with like relationships. It's like, (laughs) <laughs> when you have to put in the effort, you put in the effort, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of like living close by to the beach. When you live close by to the beach, you don't yes. ever go. And people yeah. will say like, I've lived here for 20 years and I literally go to the beach once a year. But then the minute you move away and you have to get on a plane or drive eight hours, like you make the effort to go and you book the vacation and you spend the thousands of dollars and you go to the beach. Isn't that so interesting? It is. That is that is completely true too. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my husband and I were just chatting about like, we lived, you know, we lived there in Florida an hour and a half from Disney world for almost five years and never went to Disney world. And that whole time, the two years before we moved, I went to Disney world, both those years. <laughs> Wait, you never went to Disney world when you guys lived here? No, really? We never went to Disney world. Like the two years when I, I, li- I moved there from Kansas, the two years before we moved, when I was living in Kansas, both Decembers, we went to Disney World in Florida. We moved to Florida in 2018. I have not been to Disney World since. But you're coming to Florida next week and you're going to Disney World, aren't you? No, we're going to Universal. Oh, Universal. Well, it's still close by. Yeah. 
close. But well, it's, it's, like, that's, that's how it is. It's like, it's almost like, ooh, like, is it that like when something's there and it's like too easy, you, you just don't like, it's, it's, all, it's like, it's too easy. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're on my calendar for lunch next Wednesday. I love that. I love that. I do want to add that when it comes to you and I, I do think there's a bit to you and I both being introverts too. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, because it takes so much less energy for me to like zoom with somebody in many times. So I think there's a piece of, so in some ways it's like more effort, but in some ways it's like, I don't, it's like being around somebody in person is like something I also don't even think of scheduling as an introvert, I think. Yeah. Well, I still, I think about, I think as an introvert, well, at least what goes through my mind is the effort to get ready yeah, to go, to drive and all of that. It's like yeah. all of that combined. Right. But then what, what I, here's the other thing I find so interesting, like just because we're introverts doesn't mean we don't like to be around people. The, right. I've gone to some in-person events. I went to one in April. I went to one uh, a week ago, a week and a half ago, both in Florida. And I cannot tell you how much I needed in-person yeah contact and connection and community with, uh, I prefer intimate groups of people. I prefer small groups uh, mm-hmm. versus like 500 people at a big live event where there's loud music and they make you dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I will just exit stage left for that. Um, but I was like craving the in-person. I just don't want to do it all the time. Yeah. I, I, I feel the same way. Like I crave it and I need it. And I've, it's, I've, been ridiculously homesick for being able to be around somebody in person, but yeah, I just can't do it too much. Yeah. 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 Well, I know we're already a few minutes in, but I do want to share what we need to do. We need to introduce you, Lara. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) we need to introduce you. I'm not so famous that everybody just doesn't already know exactly who I am. Wait, I noticed your Instagram handle is now famous, famously Lara. Yeah. Yeah. When did tell, how did that come about? Uh, well, okay. So my last name's kind of impossible, right? Brigitte Tano, I can say it. You can say it. You can't can spell it. it, but I can say you it. You can't spell it. So I, for my entire business, I've been trying to solve this problem of my last name because like nobody can spell it, let alone like put it into like a website, like a URL. So, uh, you know, I was kind of experimenting with shortening it or playing, you know, like playing with it. But I'd always kind of been like on the hunt for something else to to go by uh, that that worked short of making people spell Majitano uh, <laughs> to get to my site or to like remember me or introduce me. And um, so I'd kind of always been on the hunt. And then it, it kind of so so I was telling my sister, I was like, I wish I could use gumptiously, Laura, because like I am so gumptious. Like that's me. Like if you look up the word gumptious in the dictionary, it's Laura. It's okay, like what my is that personality word to a T. Please define it. What does Webster say it is? Oh gosh, I don't have it memorized, but it's like ambitious, enterprising, resourceful, energetic, like it's like Laura right? Everything, like, I'm like, I relate to that word more than any other. But I was telling my sister, I was like, I can't use the word gumptiously. Like, nobody says that in conversation. Like, it's too big of a word. Nobody says it. Nobody uses it. Uh, And, you know, I, I, 
I'm a copywriter. Like what's the first thing they tell you is like, you know, low level writing is what performs the best. So I was like, I can't use this word, even though it's like perfect for me. Uh, and it, it, throughout that conversation, I can't exactly remember how we came to it, but I was like, you know what I love about the word famously is like, it's double meaning, right? It's like, it means excellently, right? Like I could say like, we get along famously. It means like we get along excellently, excellently. Uh, but it's also like the famously as in like, like known impact influence, but without all of the like dogma that the word influencer holds. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? I love that. I love that it has both the meaning of like the impact and the meaning of the like excellently Laura. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I changed it and yeah. I, I I did I scored the domain. I haven't I haven't put the site up there yet, but I was like, that's a lot easier for people to spell than Majee to know. So that's gonna be your new website, famouslylaura.com. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Yet. Yeah. I like it. I'm glad you went ahead and bought that. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It was it was like totally a whim. Like I was literally on the phone call, like, let me see if the domain's available. Okay, it is. Let me see if the Instagram's available. Like I was literally and I like changed it like on a whim. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. You did that recently. Cause I just noticed it the other day. Yeah. I didn't realize it would send a notification out to like all of my Facebook, like anybody who likes my Facebook page got the notification. So I got some messages. Of, oh, nice. <laughs> little, little nurture action. <laughs> I didn't know would do that pro tip. If you want to send all of the people who like your Facebook page a notification, just change the name. Well, they used to say that about Facebook groups, which I'm sure is still the case. If you change the name of your Facebook group, which you can only do once every 30 days, everybody in your group gets a notification and people start paying more attention inside of your group. Oh, coach taught me that one a few years what ago. What an awesome hack. I never thought about that. You could add like emojis and remove them. Oh yeah. Ooh. All kinds of things. Oh, I love that. You could just hack. say like with Laura, just add like with Laura and then and take like, out the with up. Laura. And yeah. then you could like do that every other month. You could. <laughs> that's, that's kind of a cool hack. I, mean, yeah. I love stuff like that. I am so like, I'm so about it. Like anything that you can do to get your work out and get like in front of the right people, spread your message to the people who need to see it. I'm, I'm about it. Yeah. Well, you're the messaging maven. <laughs> I love that. This is copy converter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what I love. It's, it's taken me like a long time to just like own completely own the fact that like conversion fires me up like the like persuasion and buyer psychology and understanding what actually gets people to act and the words that you can use to get people to act and why this this sentence structure is more persuasive than that per sentence structure and that there's absolutely like nothing at all like wrong or icky or bad about being like incredibly persuasive and incredibly into converting people. Uh, it's taken me a long time to just fully own that, but I, it's, it's my thing. Yeah. Well, you've, I mean, as long as I've known you, I've always known you as a copywriter, right? I've always known you as someone in that space. So you know, what has that journey looked like for you? I think a lot of us, I mean, I could say the same thing about me, you mm -hmm. know, it's like, we, we start our businesses 
doing a version of what it's ultimately going to be. Yeah. The version of it, it's in the same category, but then you just like really start owning that particular lane. Yeah. So what was it like? Like what got you here? Oh my God. Like how many hours do you have now? (laughs) Joking. Uh, Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I was a copywriter at an agency, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that's what, what started, which was invaluable experience because there, you know, I was writing for coaches and, and speakers and things that, that were beyond what, um, that, that were higher level in business, right? We're talking seven, eight figure businesses that were beyond what I would have gotten had I just started as a freelancer. And so I really got to see that. I mean, that was such a valuable time for me because it wasn't just applying the copy principles that I'd learned by like obsessing over you know, all the copywriting grades, the Dan Kennedys, et cetera. But it was like actually applying those in these larger businesses and seeing what they were doing, what they were doing differently, what was working, what was working differently. I know you and I share that, like having worked inside a larger coaching business before we Mm -hmm. launched ours. And I would not trade, like, I think that's been incredibly valuable for me. But at some point I, I did start to feel like, Um, kind of a cog in a marketing wheel would be the best that, you know, it was like, you know, an an eight figure entrepreneur coach, you know, they have all of this, they have a lot of marketing happening. And, you know, I would be assigned to write the Facebook ads, right? Because I want to specify, I, I am specialized in direct response copy, meaning I don't have a lot. I mean, I can write like, well, um, but I don't have a lot of like training or expertise in things like writing blogs or websites or about sections or press releases or like anything like that. Like the kind of copy that I'm really specialized in is copy to get a response from somebody. So like an advertisement or a sales letter or those kinds of things. So it's like, I'd be assigned to write the ads or whatever. And it just didn't feel impactful enough Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. And I began to feel like, gosh, if I went out on my own and was working directly with my clients versus just being one step in the huge marketing apparatus, I could, I, I would feel like I was making a bigger difference. Yeah. So I did that and I started a copywriting practice and, um, Oh, I remember that fateful day at the Dunedin coffee shop. Do you remember that? I do. You were still working there. And I remember we were sitting across the table from each other and I looked you dead in the eyes and I was like, you have to leave and you have to start your own thing. You could literally make six figures in a year. And I did. You did two weeks later. And I, okay. All of that is true. Literally. I remember sitting across from you and being like, I, I, I remember the words I used. I was like, I want to be bigger. I want to be bolder. I want a bigger impact. And you were like, quit your job. Okay. Um, so thank you for telling me to quit my job. You're welcome. That <laughs> was a great decision. And what's interesting is you were right on all levels. So within six months of starting my own copywriting practice, I was making uh, the monthly equivalent of six figures, right? Like the just under 10K a month. Um, so I, I say, I tell people like, oh, I made six figures in six months. I didn't actually make six figures. I made like a six figure salary. 
Um, and so it, it was way worth it. And I did feel like I was having a bigger impact. Um, and then I had like this like heart shattering moment and don't get me wrong. I was good at what I did. I loved it. My clients loved my work 99.999% of the time. And it got great results. But then I had this like terrible moment and I was sitting at a coffee shop at, when I was living in Reddington beach. So I was living on the beach and I was sitting in this coffee shop with this woman. I had written her coffee and she looks at me and she was like, working with you made me realize I can't outsource my authenticity. Mm. And she was basically sitting there like saying like your copy might be, it might work. It might convert. It might be great. And it like, you could never be me. You could never replace my words. You could never tell my stories the way that I tell my stories. And I, and I wanted to be like mad I wanted to be like, you know, like I'm trained in direct response. Like my clients get results. Like they're making money from my sales letters. Um, But like I, what I couldn't help but feel was like, oh my God, she's right. And so that's like the moment that I was like, you know, copy is not hard to learn. It's a skill like any other. So up until that point, you were writing copy for other people. I was writing for other people. Okay. And it was successful. It was. Yeah. I mean, that was the moment that really shifted your perspective. It really did. Okay. So what did you do after that? That was the moment that I was like, I, I think, I think I should be helping these coaches write their own copy and helping these entrepreneurs write their own copy. And there was a little bit of, For a long time in my copywriting practice, I'd been struggling to solve the problem of how do I know your stories, right? Because we know stories are the highest converting, but it's like, how do I know your stories? And you can, you know, either, you know, send them to me on voice message or we can have them on a call or whatever, but it's like, some of it is to like the tiny moments. So a lot of times when I ask people, asked people for their stories as a copywriter, they would give me their summaries, right? Which what, like, what are summaries? Think about like when you go to like an Amazon book review and it's like the whole broad overarching, like generalization of what happened. And what I was missing from them were those like tiny moments, which are actually stories of like what happened to them yesterday. Oh, like the story you just told about sitting at a coffee shop in Reddington Beach and the lady says to you, you cannot replace me. Yeah. You cannot replace my authenticity. Like that's, is that you can't. I'll never forget. She said, she said, working with you taught me I can't outsource my authenticity. So you, uh, you tell that story a lot in your own copy to this day. I see it often. Because it was a, it was like a big shift for, like, it was a big moment for me. Pivotal moment in your whole career. Right. I mean, that's the moment that that took me off the trajectory of let me be the world's next most famous copywriter to like, let me help other let me help people write their own copy. Yeah. Yeah. So I tell I mean, I tell that story a lot because it was it it really changed my perspective. Um, and I respected this woman so much who told me this. I mean, she had had a long career. I think she was in her 50s. 
She had been a hospice chaplain. She'd sat with like dozens of people as they died. She had so much wisdom and so much perspective on life. And I just, uh, I thought the world of her and it like, it was in, in one hand heart shattering to have her be like, I'm not using the copy I hired you to write. Mm-hmm. And on another hand, it was like, it was like, yeah, like, of course you shouldn't. <laughs> right? Like it was so, it was such a weird, it was such a weird moment, but that's what set me on the, you know what? I want to, I want to help people write their stuff better. And it's actually like most of the world's best copywriters are self-taught anyway. Like it's not difficult to learn. You just have to choose to learn it like any other skill set. Mm-hmm. So, so then your business, so I imagine you shifted your business model at that point and you started, did you start phasing out of writing copy for other people? And then I know that you've run some group programs, some courses, you started a, what do you call it? A SWAS? <laughs> SWAS, yeah. <laughs> Is it a service? I want to say like as a service with a software. So there's like a software, yeah. a software as a as service. A service. But like it was a serve a service with a software is what service I service with a software. Yeah. Um you've done a lot of things. I have. Okay. So yeah. I mean, it's not like, oh, I just figured out I need to teach people copy. And then it magically was like the exact business it should be. I mean, you've gone through like a process over the last few years. Cause that was a yeah. few years ago. Yes. Yes. Was like that was a few years, years ago. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I, my expertise was in copy, my expertise. And this is what's so pivotal, pivotal. And I think people need to recognize this more. My expertise wasn't in teaching. My expertise wasn't in curriculum. My expertise wasn't in coaching and facilitating. And so taking something that I was, and I think this is where a lot of like coaching and expert businesses like fall short is because like you can be really, truly excellent at something and it can be difficult for you to learn how to like structure it in a way that, I mean, essentially like, I mean, I've launched group programs. I was sharing with you before this, like I've launched group programs once and never launched them before because they were just a beast to deliver, mm-hmm. right? It, it essentially, it, it was, you know, it's too heavily personalized, too heavily based on, uh, you know, me. Uh, I had, I've had too much ego around other people being able to do what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I was, we're talking like I would have group program calls that would last three plus hours because seriously, I'm not even joking because I, I thought I needed to have like one-on-one hot seat conversations with everybody on the call. That's so interesting. I was a uh, boxer chatting with someone and who I don't know. I don't actually know her that well. We happen to be in a program together and um, she had experienced like multiple back-to-back multiple six-figure launches. Mm-hmm. and. She had her group, which I don't think she had had it very long. And then all of a sudden she was having like tremendous success and, you know, it's all great. You make all that money, but, um, what people don't realize is, you now have an influx 
and an increase in volume of people that you're now serving. And typically when that happens, you have to completely change the structure, format, and delivery of your program all over again. Yes. Because what worked for 10 people doesn't work for 40 in the same way. And so what you just said is something that I I was kind of doing a little bit of research with her as well, gathering some research. So this is a good tip for everybody. And I was like, hey, if you could just like name what your challenges are, just like Voxer it to me, like, what are they? Mm. And she literally itemized them. Oh my gosh. And she gave me more than 10 and literally like number one, number two, number three. And one of them that she said was around the structure of how she's delivering her program. And she goes, I can't, I don't know what to do with my calls because I can't have a hot seat in one call with every single person on the call. Yep. So how can I deliver the results that I'm promising when I can't have basically like this one-on-one hot seat with every single person? Right. Which is what I was doing. She did also say like some of her clients were upset with that and upset with her because it's changing now. So that's like a real challenge that people have when delivering their programs, especially when the volume starts to go up. And you're serving more people Well, and now. when you said that, that's exactly what happened to me. I mean, my first group program launch, I sold 18 spots, which for a that's first a program launch is a lot. It's a lot. And then, you know, me being, you know, a little bit of a workaholic overachiever launched again six weeks later and sold another 15 spots. Were they in the same program with the other Different 18? Different program. Okay. Similar, like same, still copy, me trying to perfect the structure. I kept trying to reiterate the structure. Mm -hmm. During the the second program, the 15-spot program, I realized I was teaching copy at that time to people who had junk offers, right? And, And here's the thing. Copy can do a lot. It can't make up for a really junk offer. Yeah. And so I launched launch, meaning like I'm, I'm doing air quotes right now. I basically upsold all of them into a secondary, like level two offer Mm -hmm. to help them perfect and communicate the value of a good offer. Mm -hmm. And so I was essentially delivering three programs at once at that point. And, um, frankly, I, I was like, I can't do this. And what led me to to go the direction of this class. And now I'm running a social media agency. What led me to go down that road is I, I honestly was like, I, I can't do this. Like I can't do what I'm doing. I didn't at the time, I didn't recognize it as a problem of delivery structure. I was like, Oh, a, I don't want to, I don't want a coaching business. Coaching businesses are a pain. <laughs> like, like that, that's how I saw it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what kind of led me down, down the, down the other path, uh, until I realized at at some point I did enough just self-education and learning. And, you know, I read about a book a week and I sort of just came to realize like, huh, maybe it wasn't, (laughs) it wasn't so much like the business coaching, like the coaching business model, because I actually love coaching people and helping people. Like I actually missed it when I kind of taken a step back from it. 
Um, but it was how I was doing it completely. It was totally how I was doing it, but I didn't recognize it as that. And in fairness, there's not a lot of people talking about that. There's so many people talking about like how to fill your programs. There's not a lot of people talking about like how to deliver them. Yeah. Well, it's like the unsexy thing. Yeah. Until you get to the point where you got to, and you know, for most people running one to many programs, 80 80% or more of their income comes from those programs. Yeah. And so to stop it, which I've done before as well, um, I've done that. I've completely shut down entire programs for various reasons. Out the window goes all the income from that as well. Right. So, you know, you really have to think about what you're doing. Um, And when you start something new, just like you did Mm -hmm. with the SWAS, (laughs) Uh, just like I've done with, you know, pivoting in completely new directions, still in my expertise, but a different business model and a different client altogether and different offers. You are starting over from scratch again. Now you're, you're more confident. You know a whole lot about business. Like, you know what to do. Correct. You have to repeat the basics all over again. You repeat building the foundation all over again. You repeat the market research, the trial and error, the experimenting, like you have to repeat that all over again and your ego has to take a back seat. Yes. Which is the hardest part. It is the hardest part. Yeah. You don't Mm -hmm. want anybody to find out like what's really going on behind the scenes. Right. Yeah. So there was something um, we were chatting about before we press record, which I think is such a juicy conversation to be having around you were saying like, you know, we all experienced what happened in 2020 and 2021. Mm -hmm. And we saw, especially in this, in in the online, like e-learning space and coaching industries, we saw a massive influx in new business owners because there is literally no barrier to entry. Yep. And and a massive growth in existing business owners. Yes. Uh, I actually had my best year. When was it? 2020. Yeah. Same. It was my best year. 2020 was my best year too. Financially. Same. Yeah. That's so interesting. And you you know, it's interesting. I was talking to another online business coach and she was sharing with me that, you know, her sales had dipped a little bit this year. And it was funny because she phrased it like, I actually, my business actually grew through the whole pandemic. Like it was this, some weird thing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course it did. You're in the online business. Like I understand that for the vast majority of brick and mortar businesses, 2020, 2021 was like a hard year, mm-hmm. a hard couple of years, but like online, it was like, I don't know, fool's gold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel like, I feel like it, I feel like running an online business got really easy, really fast because of the influx of people coming online. A lot more people, there were a lot more people ready to say yes. Yeah. There were a lot more people. I mean, so this is what I've noticed. I would, I'm so fascinated by you've probably you've probably studied, I know you've studied psychology around buyer psychology. Oh yeah. Way, way more than I have. Oh my so it's like I would, an obsession. Okay. I would love to hear your take on this then. So I'm coming from just an observer's perspective. But during 2020, I think 2020 was the height of like so many people were in a, yes, I'm ready to buy cycle, like literally the whole entire year. I don't know if there was a dry spell in all of 2020. Right. Most years it's like, okay, you know, in the coaching industry, 
most of the time, like summer is not the like height of the year for people to be making a bunch of sales. You see it a lot in the spring. You see it a lot in the fall. You see it at a certain time in the winter time. And then summer, it's like every coach goes on like a month long vacation, doing a lot of launches. There's a lot of moms. And so they're home with their kids. And it's like, everybody takes this break in the summertime. And it also seems like a lot of people don't necessarily buy in the summer, but in 2020, we didn't really experience that. And then 2021 came. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of business owners in this industry, the second half of 2021, that's when the burnout and exhaustion kind of caught up with everybody. And it was like this wake up call. Like I've probably actually been running on fumes for the last two years. Yeah. And I'm just now recognizing it. And then towards the, like the second half of 2021, and I would say all of 2022 so far. Yeah. That's the time frame where people have seen pretty dramatic shifts in their sales. Yes. New sales coming in. Yep. And their monthly recurring revenue. Right. And I personally think without doing all the studying you've done on psychology, so I'm going to turn it over to you. I think people's buying cycles also shifted. I think the psychology of the buyer shifted in the last two and a half years. And it sort of seemed like it happened overnight. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot that plays into it. And I, I think you're absolutely right. People's buying behavior changed. But to some extent, you got to look at like what happened in 2020. One, we were coming off a booming economy. People had a lot of disposable income. And then everything shut down. So they have a lot of extra time. And a lot of like introspection time to like, what do I, who am I? Like, do I want to, especially for the coaching industry, like, do I want to better my life? Do I want to use this time to get, like, how many people like use the time to get in shape or use the time to start a business or use Like they had, there was this like pause where everybody, one, everybody has, everybody's pocketbooks are flush, right? We all have lots of money. Economy was great. We're getting stimulus. We've got the money. Mm -hmm. and now we have this time to like actually contemplate like what it is we really want and make decisions about improving our life. Plus everything's coming online. So there's just like this influx of people like paying attention to online stuff. So if you're an online business owner and everybody's coming online and everybody's paying attention to online stuff and everybody's looking to improve their life and everybody has all this money, it's like kind of ridiculously easy to sell. I get, I really feel like it's fool's gold, right? Like it's just tons of people coming out ready to do this thing. And then now what's, what's some of it is like a natural pullback, just like, you know, just like an economic, like there's, there's the extent of like, okay, you know, sometimes like there's going to be a natural pullback, right? It's always going to ebb and flow. And so there is a little bit of just like the natural pullback happening, but then there's also, you know, the reality of people did get burnt out online. People started craving in-person stuff again. People kind of have started to get back into their regular routines and a little bit less like introspective about what they want in life. And then the, the true reality that I don't think is talked about enough is how economy affects purchasing behavior. And whether that's actual, like whether that's, you know, people really are having less money or even perceived, but it's, it would be unfair to deny the role of inflation, right? Mm -hmm. Because here's, and, and this is where I think 
entrepreneurs need to look at who, who they're targeting, right? Because if you're targeting like the most affluent buyer that you can, I'm going to, people are probably going to like hate me for this, but like, that's a smart business decision. Like target the most affluent buyer you can, because here's the thing. If (laughs) inflation comes along, if I can speak, if inflation comes along or if the economy dampens or whatever happens, then like that person's still going to have disposable income, right? Like, like, here's the thing, like to some extent, like it costs a certain amount to eat no matter what. It costs a certain amount to live no matter what. It costs a certain amount for electricity no matter what. I realize that there's people who eat on different levels and people who have to pay for electricity on different levels of houses. But to some extent, there's like a baseline. It costs this much to live. Mm-hmm. Affluent people have a greater percentage above that of wiggle room to spend money on stuff. Somebody who has who has a lower income, that starts you know, getting eaten up by inflation or economic downturn or whatever, that goes away much faster. And now they're just like living on the basic necessities again. And so I feel like, you know, there's just a reality of some of this happening. Um, But also it's like a good opportunity for entrepreneurs going like, should I be targeting a more affluent target? I did. I switched. I mean, that was one of my big moves I made this year earlier this year. It's not the only thing that I do. Right. But I thought, wow, I'm going to bring back working with people in a one-on-one capacity. Yeah. It's not going to be one-on-one coaching. Yeah. It's going to be extremely high level strategy and business advisory for people who are already at a seven figure per year level of a company with a team and a payroll. Right. Because you know, the, just to illustrate the difference between having a conversation with someone who, who's running that size of a company mm-hmm. and talking to someone who is still tr- struggling to generate clients, mm-hmm. maybe they have some, but they're still generating, they're still struggling to like really get it going and super right. high growth and momentum. You have a very different conversation with those two people. Right. And, you know, the person who's already at seven figures, I mean, quite frankly, it's a very underserved audience. Right. Oh, totally. It's very underserved because they're very specific. I mean, they're all in mastermind programs. Right. And they have teams, but there, there are certain pain points and problems that no one out there is serving. And if right. your expertise kind of lands in one of those pockets, you kind of have it made because right. they're not even, they're not even asking you what it costs. Right. They're just like, send me the link because they know that they're going to be able to turn around and use whatever you just gave them and literally get like a 20, 30 or 40 X return on it almost instantly. Exactly. Because of what they have already figured out and what's already working in their favor. Plus they just think differently too. Right. Exactly. But that's the thing. I mean, I mean, any, actually, I'm going to go so far as like almost any business could be marketed to a more affluent customer. Yeah. Almost any business, right? Like if like (laughs) my husband loves to go to the comic book store and you know, that I was chatting with the the owner of the comic book store and he's already made a ton of improvements to target higher end clientele uh, just in the books that he's carrying and things like that. But even to another level, 
like, you know, he's got shelves of all the new issues and back issues and things like that. But even to a new level, I'm like, if, if a comic book store like catered to like rare and expensive books, there's rare bookstores all over the place, right? Rare and expensive books and brought people in and handed them these graded books and white gloves and catered to the actual like collectors who are putting down thousands of dollars per comic book, as opposed to the person who's like buying the the new issue off the shelf, you're able to serve at a much higher level, provide a lot higher level of service, make a lot more money serving less people. And so it's just smart business to operate that way. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, it's like, I feel like any business should, any business owner should be looking at, how can I position myself to just somebody who's even just a little bit more affluent than they were? Yeah. That's going to be the other thing that we need to, to remember is that even in down economies, sale buyer psychology, you know, isn't that people stop wanting to buy. It's that they change the way they buy. So some things increase in price. For example, I think in the last, uh, I read a study that was talking about the last recession and how Chanel bags like saw a decrease in purchases, whereas lipstick saw an increase. And so what we can take away from that, and, and that was just one example, but we saw this trend across uh across, you know, the all of all of consumerism, is the trend is people still want small luxuries. So it's like, maybe they're not willing to fork over the amount that they would for the handbag, but they still want that feeling of like having something luxury, luxurious. So they go for the lipstick. So it's like, if you want to target a higher level, you know, more affluent buyer, but you, you know, don't necessarily want to be charging like the huge prices, or maybe you're not getting the, the, the buyers at that level yet, like create a small luxury, create a mini version of your larger experience. That's like really high touch and gives that luxurious feel or gives that, that high service feel so that they can have access. You can still access that person who's looking for that on, on a level that fits the current economic state we're in. Yeah. I love that. Um, I just, I just did that. Literally, really? just, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you just like intuitively did what like research is telling people to do. I did. So, you know, I do my consulting, which is one-on-one and that's the offer that I created back in May mm-hmm. and uh, end up, you know, it's a fairly short engagement, but it's multiple five figures. And then I have this population. It actually created this through a conversation I had at the live event I was at a week and a half ago. Mm. And one of the ladies looked at me, we were at dinner, like eating. And she goes, Megan, there's a group of us who want to work with you, but we're not at the level of this like high-end consulting multiple five figures. Right. And these are people who are like, you know, mid, you know, mid, let's just say like mid six figures, like probably... 350 to 750. Yeah. Annual a year. And they all have one to many programs. And they're like, but we want what you have. They literally were like, can you put together a two-day in-person event? Yeah. Where we could also bring a team member. Ooh. Yes. And um teach us everything that you know. Yeah. Because we want it. 
Yeah. And so I literally came home and actually yesterday just wrote like a PDF invitation, like a letter invitation, sales letter invitation. Yeah. For a two day in person, only five people, you can bring a team member for, and it will probably won't be this price forever, $4,000 for two days. Yeah. Plus add on a team member for 2000. So that's an illustration of exactly what you just said. It's, it is exactly exactly that. It's like, you don't have to go create a new expertise, right? But create still like this intimate, I think you said like high touch where they're still getting, they're still getting it from you. Like, uh, I'm like totally sold on this offer. If you have a, <laughs> it's like, I have like a, a mid six level business owner who has a group coaching program who would love your support, but like, I'm not at the level of your yeah. regular consulting clients, like sign me up. So yeah. like, but that's how people I'll send you a letter as soon as we're done. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, but that's how people feel when you create that small luxury is yeah. it's like, Oh, I get the take. I get they're great. They're still craving that high touch experience. They're still yeah. craving that, but they need it on like an amuse bouge level. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I have a similar, I have a similar, you know, I have my, my longer group coaching program. And then I actually have like a 30 day, you know, experience with me. Um, that's, that's like one-to-one, but, but you know, um, just, just a little, a little shorter, shorter experience. That's the same thing. And, and that's what, that's what people are craving right now. Yeah, they are. You know, it's a time I I always see downtime downturns like this economically. There's such an opportunity, such an opportunity. There's so many opportunities to be innovative. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I know, I don't know what the exact statistic is, but you know, I think the vast majority of millionaires and billionaires are made during economic downturns, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So obviously it's a, it's a, in fact, I even did a, I did a YouTube video on, um, it, it was specifically how like confidence and charisma turned the depression around. So it was, you know, the speech that was, you know, the quote, we have nothing to fear, but fear itself. Like it was the speech that, that, that came out of that I actually attribute for really turning the depression around because that's the speech that made Americans feel safe to go put their money's money back in the bank. Like that's the first time people weren't like taking all their money out of it, but they're like actually feeling safe to go put it back in because of the confidence that he brought to that speech. And so I did this whole YouTube video breaking down like the importance of confidence and creating your own economy And in researching for that video, I was researching like how many businesses were created in recessions or depressions and like pretty much like all the greats, like Disney and Sports Illustrated and like, like these huge names and businesses, when you actually go research, like if you just Google like businesses that were created during the, the, during a recession, like you would be shocked. Like the vast majority of like big brand names that you know about were created in a, in a downturn. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to invite yourself to think differently and outside the box mm-hmm. and try not to copy what already exists out there. Cause there's a lot of that going on. Oh my God. There's so much of that going on. And what people pay for during this time a lot is actually like entertainment soars during yes. an economic downturn. And so it's like, being, I, I love the con, like when people create like 
edutainment content and they're being entertaining, but they're also being surprising and not the same. Like people are looking for something that's going to, you know, spark that dopamine for lack of a better word of like, oh, this is different. Yeah. Um, this, this is interesting to me. Oh, I haven't seen this before. And so creating that is huge. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So this conversation has just been so fascinating. I was, I was telling you, Laura, before we got on, I was like, I really want to transition how my interviews are going and it be less interviewee style and, you know, a place where people just felt like they were a fly on the wall of a conversation between two people behind closed doors. So I feel like we've, I feel like we've accomplished that today. (laughs) I'm totally like, I think at at various points, I actually forgot we were recording. (laughs) I think we accomplished it. You know, I think, you know, what we could end on because we're talking about change and buyer psychology and so much has shifted in the business world. You know, we're, we're here at the end of 2022, heading into 2023. What do you forecast? Maybe you're psychic, who knows? What do you <laughs> forecast like the trends are going to be as we head into 2023? What do people need to be? How can people get ahead? Ooh, well, according to Laura, <laughs> I look, I think, I mean, I think it's no secret that short form story-based content is going to rule the internet. So you need to be telling lots of stories and you need to learn how to tell them quickly and succinctly, whether that is on, you know, a TikTok video or whether that is in a really short uh, Facebook post or Twitter post, a short form story-based content will continue to rule and, and rule even more than it has now. I think you're going to see less when it comes to short form video, I think you're going to probably see less and less of like the, you're already seeing it less and less of the, you know, lip syncing videos or dance videos or things like that. And more and more of the story-based videos. And, and you see it to some extent now people are acting out scenes more and, and telling stories more. So that's one thing when it comes to content. Uh, I actually have a really bold prediction about the Facebook platform. Uh, I don't know if it's what they will do. I see steps taking t- them taking towards it. And I think it would be incredibly smart to for them to position themselves as the personal brand platform. Uh, so I see them positioning Instagram for e-commerce and like and adding features that support e-commerce. And they've outright said that they're supporting e-commerce. I'm seeing a lot when it comes to Facebook, adding the professional profile, adding the at everyone feature and the at friends feature, I'm seeing a lot of tools being created to help people build personal brands on Facebook. Whereas Facebook was kind of a little bit resistant to that in the past. They wanted it to be very social in nature versus like, you know, they kind of discouraged building brands on profiles. And I'm seeing like a complete 180 in that. So I'm going to like, like everybody's going to be like shocked by this, but I'm like, don't, don't count out Facebook. (laughs) Like, I think, I think we're going to see if you're a personal brand, I think we're going to see a lot from it uh, over the, over the next thing. And then, um, you know, I would be like remiss if I didn't say like, learn to tell your stories. Like I, I see copy, whether, whether you're on video, that's just perform. I call it performed copy. Like if you're on video, it's still copy. It's still the words, it's still your message. 
but you've got to learn to tell your story and to talk about the work that you do in a really clear, compelling way, especially as it's gotten harder to sell. Like the ability to construct a great call to action with a lot of confidence and clarity is becoming more and more and more imperative. So that's what I see. I'm curious. Okay. Let me shoot it back for you. I want to know what you think. Can I ask a question? Is that allowed? What it's do, allowed. It's allowed. What do you think people need to do to get ahead? What's your oh prediction? boy, man. So, you know, so much of what I'm paying attention to are the program delivery. Yeah. So in the group program world, I believe what people are looking for is more intimately sized mm. programs where they have more personalized attention. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean you can only have 20 people in your program. Uh, it means I don't think people are as, as attracted to programs that have hundreds of people in them. Yeah. So people are really looking for more intimately sized groups. They are looking for more personalized guidance. Mm. Now there's a difference between personalized and customized. Customized is behind closed doors and only you and one other person hears what you're saying. Right. But personalized in the sense that many of the group, you know, I come from a public education background where every student was very different. Right. Every student has a different personality. They were waking up in a different home with a different set of circumstances every single day. They had learning disabilities. They, you know, you know, everything, everything, everything. I was dealing with everything in one classroom because I had an elective. I wasn't in a classroom with 18-year-olds that were all academically gifted. Right. I had anybody and everybody. And that's what you have in your group programs. Yeah. You've got a diverse group of people and you've got to learn how to, how to lead and facilitate group dynamics. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that is actually the number one reason it's not having developed the skill and the ability to lead group dynamics and facilitate that. And I think that's why clients haven't been getting as great of results mm-hmm. in group programs or anything that's considered one to many. Yep. There's so much blame that goes on in this industry. It's either the, the coach is just a shitty coach and just wanted to make a lot of money. We hear that. Yeah. And then we hear, well, the clients just didn't take responsibility. Right. I'm sorry, but it's neither. I it's think- actually neither. It's yeah, neither one right. of those. Um, so I think that is really going to change. I think that the last brand differentiator that now exists is your ability to provide state-of-the-art client support. Mm. And that is not customer service. Mm. It's a completely different department. But I believe we've kind of come into this place where we've tried so hard to differentiate ourselves externally yeah. at the attraction phase yeah, and I don't believe it's going to be as nearly as effective as it once was, and I think we've experienced that in the last year and a half. Yeah. But people are still trying to differentiate themselves that way. What if we differentiated ourselves internally with the way that we're delivering our programs and the way that we're supporting our clients? So I think that what is going to really grow in our industry is client success 
management organizations inside of companies, just yes. like every software and tech company has, by the way, and has for decades. By the way, that was the most recent hire I made just this last week. So I think you're spot on. Yeah. So from a, I'm glad that we took like, you took like the the front of the house angle and I took the back of the house angle. Just yeah. put those two together and put voila, there together. you go. I, I think you're absolutely right. Like that's the game changer. It's literally been the focus. Um, part of it is like, also like, I just want to, and I know we, we probably need to wrap up, but I just want to say this, like, also it's okay to acknowledge. I feel like it's okay to acknowledge that that's like not my highest level of genius. And for me to say like, Hey, I want to add a success coach to my program who actually can see like, oh, this would be a great way to help your clients get better results with this material. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's okay to acknowledge that. Like, it's okay. Like, I don't know. I'm I'm so like, you know, you can be the visionary and hire this CEO. You can be the visionary and hire a COO. You can be a visionary and hire a CMO, but like, you can be a visionary and be like, you know what? I want, I want some help with facilitating this and making this awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm an expert at what I do, not an expert facilitator and you can become a better expert facilitator, but you can also just say like, Hey, I'm going to also hire next somebody who is an expert at this. Yeah. I think that's okay too. Yeah. I think that's a brilliant hire. Yeah. Literally like this week I was like, you know what? I'm working at getting better at this, but it's not my zone of genius. Why don't I just hire somebody? that it is to like be inside my program. I love that. All right, Laura, this has been amazing. Where can people find you? Famously, oh. Laura. <laughs> Famously, Laura on Instagram and Facebook. My personal Facebook's still Laura Mijita now. Uh, it's currently lauramz.com. Uh, we'll, we'll be shifting that too. So I would love to, to hear. From, and, and I'll, I'll link a, like a, like a freebie gift. If you want to share it out. Oh yeah, for sure. It's all in the show notes. Okay, cool. Well, get your, get your 292 hook templates to write killer hooks that grab attention in the show notes. I think I've downloaded that before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've had a, I've had a bunch of like free gifts and that's the one that people like, will like when they hire me, they'll like pick up a printed copy off their desk and be like, I've had this on my desk for a year. And so I'm like, okay, well, awesome. we're going to keep giving it out. Keep giving it out. Awesome. This was so rad, Laura. You're rad. You're rad too. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into the Built to Last show. If you're loving the show and have gotten any value out of it for your business and life, would you mind doing two things? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Our listener reviews helps us get more visibility and reach more people just like you. Help us make a difference for more entrepreneurs by helping them grow their businesses in a way that aligns with their life, family, and core values. Thank you so much for being part of our community and tuning into the show each week.